Hi, everyone. Thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to your favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. I'm your host today, Kelsey, with my co-host, Annalise, and our two guests. Let me in. It's Stephanie. Anna. Today, we will be discussing the mysterious disappearance of Maura Murray and the recent update to that case. How recent? Like, this year recent? This year recent. This recent as in, like, Like, this month? Like, two months ago. Damn. Oh. Born May 4th, 1982, in Brockton, Massachusetts, Maura is the youngest daughter of Fred and Laura Murray's five children. She had a pretty big family with one older brother, two older sisters, and one younger brother. She grew up in a small suburb in Hanson, Massachusetts, and her parents divorced when she was six, and she would live with her mother from then on. But it appears that she maintained a good relationship with both of her parents as she grew up. Five siblings is a lot. My mom is the oldest of four, and I thought that was a lot. My dad's in a family of five. There's five, or I mean five siblings. You can't, like... Sweats nervously because both sides of my parents have over five siblings. I don't remember which one is which, but one's seven and the other's like eleven. I expected seven to be the bigger number. Something along those lines. (laughs) Seven eleven. Get a slurpee. She excelled in both academics and athletics, being a National Honor Society member and participating in nearly every school sport. She was a member of the Amateur Athletic Union Basketball League, which allowed her to travel all over New England in high school. But she was also very active in her local community, becoming known for her, quote, kind heart, signature dimples, and beautiful smile. Aww. I feel like that's very typical of people who go missing or are... Why is it always the nice ones? It's always, it's always, they had a beautiful smile, they lit up the room when they walked in. (laughs) And now the world is dim. She camped and hiked frequently in high school, mostly in the New Hampshire mountains. So remember that. That's going to be a little bit important later. Stored. Memorized. She also broke several school records and won the Boston Global All-Scholastic in cross-country running. In 1998, she even qualified for the U.S. National Scholastic Outdoor Championships in the two-mile as a sophomore and finished 33rd in the country. Wow. I feel like we had a few girls who were like this in our school. Like, I have one in particular in mind. Like, she was just such a big athlete in our school that people in the other gym classes would ask what her time was for certain things we would do because she would just break... She was breaking records in, like, freshman year, I think. But also, so nice. You know, just one of those people who has always got something going on, always busy, but is also super nice. So she graduates in the top of her class for high school and has her pick of academic or sports schools. But she decides to accept a nomination from the late Senator Edward Kennedy and follow her sister Julie's footsteps to go to West Point Military Academy to study chemical engineering. At West Point, she continues to excel in the academic and military program, as well as become a star member of the cross-country and track teams there. Wow. My grandfather was in the Air Force, he was a fireman, and he used to do the football teams within it. He had a good time with that. Um, every time I think of Ted Kennedy, good old Edward Ted Kennedy, it you just gotta do the one sentence obligatory chapaquitic. He 
had a car accident, and Mary Jo Kopechny died, and he left her to die. Didn't report it. Wow, he really went... "Mm." So in this episode of How They Got Away... (laughs) It's a double Double whammy. How They Got Away. Oh my god. That was like... Every time I think of Ted Kennedy now, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta mention Chappaquiddick. My dad's like, that's part of the national consciousness. And it's like, yeah, maybe for boomers, but like, it's not part of our national consciousness. No, he, in the area of Chappaquiddick in 1969, he, he was in a car. There was a car accident. He left the scene and didn't report it and received a two month suspended sentence. The woman in the car with him died. Um... And assumably, he just left her to die. I want you to know, I didn't know this, and it's going to be weirdly relevant. Oh. He lost- That's super relevant, but relevant enough to be weird. Yeah, he lost the presidential nomination to Jimmy Carter, partially because of this incident. Like, it- it is a note. Makes sense. (laughs) Back to Mora. In 2001, her sister Julie, who was two years ahead of Mora- introduced her to Bill Rausch. Bill was in Julie's class, but he and Mora seemed to hit it off right away. She even spent a few weeks with his family at their home in Ohio in the summer of 2002. So it was getting pretty serious. Okay, do I need to be, like, wary of Bill? There are some people who think he may have been involved, but I don't think it's possible. And we'll get into that later. okay. I'm not sure how to react right now. Like, do we like Bill? I'm not sure. In August of 2002, there was also an incident where Mora was involved in the theft of a lip gloss worth like $4 from the local mall. She ended up having to go to a cadet honor hearing along with a friend. Because remember, she's at West Point. You can't just be a criminal at West Point. During her second year, she decided that the military was not for her. She withdrew January 2nd, 2002, and transferred to the University of Amherst, Massachusetts, to pursue a career in nursing. So that's a little bit different, because she was doing chemistry? Chemical engineering. Chemical engineering before. Mm -hmm. So that's a switch. It is. This may have been related to the incident in August, I'm not sure. But I also think it's worth noting that what happened in 2001, that would maybe make you rethink being in the military a little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, Hmm. I would rethink some things. Just just be sure why. Hmm. Those reasons are purely speculation, though. It is possible she was just homesick and wanted to go to a school closer to home, since West Point is in New York. I also think it's really cute that she followed both her parents' footsteps into the medical field. Oh, yeah. Very very cute. cute. A new school and a new career path is, that's a big change. But Moore seemed to have settled in nicely, set to graduate with a nursing degree in 2005, with a summer job at a hospital in Oklahoma for 2004. So Bill had, would graduate by that point, and he would be stationed in Oklahoma. So I think the plan there was for her to start interning in Oklahoma to be closer to him. Mm-hmm. She and Bill are making the long-distance thing work. Bill would visit her on vacations, and they would go hiking or visit antique shops and bookstores all over Western Mass. Those sound like really cute dates, and sounds like they were really making use of the limited time they had together. So cute. (laughs) 
Because he's like, ideal. Book date? Ideal. Ideal. Take me to an old, dusty bookstore. That's the dream. Yeah. I thought you were going to say something ominous about the limited time, and then there's a a little pause, and then you go, how cute. How quaint. Me sitting at the edge of my seat. Ominous. (laughs) I could have. I could have. It was later reported by Bill's mom that they'd had some relationship issues in the spring. But she also said they'd smoothed it over by summer, and that their relationship had been good since. And that's something to expect when you're long distance, too. Yeah, that's right around the time that she moved. So that's, and that, by the way, is a minimum of a three and a half hour drive from West Point, let alone Oklahoma. So that may have just been the adjustment period. I would be shocked if they didn't have an adjustment period for that. Two days before her disappearance, her father, Fred, visited her in Amherst. She borrowed his car that night to go to a party. At 3.30 in the morning, while driving back to Fred's room at the Quality Inn, Mora hit a guardrail on Route 9. Police did respond to the scene, but no field sobriety test was performed and no ticket was issued. I do not know why. I feel like, weren't we talking about before that it wasn't until there was a certain case that sobriety tests became more regular? Possibly, but I don't know how that lines up with this timeline. I don't either. It might just not have been part of procedure yet. There was about eight to $10,000 worth of damage to the vehicle, and she had to hitch a ride with the tow truck. But it doesn't appear that she was seriously injured in this crash. And while we might draw conclusions from the fact that she had come from a party, we don't know if Mora was intoxicated this night or not. She may have just briefly fallen asleep at the wheel. It was 3.30 in the morning. Here's the thing. Like, I, like, I under, policeman, can't you take a girl who's all alone at night home? Oh, Lacey, don't know where we're going with this. So she get taken home, but not taken home, but taken by? We don't know. We don't know. You know, let me tell you, I once got in a car accident. The police officer was very nice. They drove me home. I wasn't even far. It was like a five to ten minute walk. They still drove me. And they let me sit in the car for a minute just to keep crying it out. Oh. She was like a, it was like, it was a college police officer, not like a police officer police officer. Uh, like Not a real one. It was just no. a very nice, she like saw that I was very shaken and was like, hey, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna give you the ride home, even though it's a very short walk at night. She was like, you can sit here for a minute. You can keep crying. Terrible to imagine if someone abused that moment of vulnerability. February 9th, 2004, Morris submitted her nursing homework electronically and searched several sites, including looking up directions to Burlington, Vermont from Amherst, Mass. Ayo! (laughs) Remember this, we'll come back to it later. She emailed her professors to tell them she would be away from campus for the week and would not be attending classes due to a death in the family. There was no death in the family. She made a call to the owner of a condo in Bartlett, New Hampshire, that she'd stayed at with family previously. She packed a bag with toiletries, makeup, textbooks, and several days' worth of clothing, including workout clothes. So they know it was her who made the call? Yes. Because at first I was like, but then also who? why would someone who's trying to cover their tracks, turn in homework <laughs> that they wouldn't know about. She's got to get these grades. <laughs> well, no, I think, like, covering her tracks to make it, like, seem like her. Well, she... We... She's, she's, she's alive right now, so, at this point. 
The timeline of the next few hours is very well documented. Yeah. So we're just going to go follow Mora's known movements throughout the day leading up to her disappearance. We know that she emailed her professors some, at some point in the morning. I think there were multiple emails, so there's not like one time. And then at 3.15 p.m., she stopped at an ATM off campus to withdraw cash. She withdrew $280, pretty much all she had at the time, because she's a poor college student. I do not miss these days. She then stopped at a liquor store and bought about $40 worth of alcohol, Bailey's, vodka, and Kahlua. Now, if you're me, you'll want to know exactly how much alcohol that is, because we need the numbers. We need the stats. Well, according to winesearchers.com, you can get a one-liter bottle of Grey Goose Vodka today for $30 from Yankee Spirits in Sturbridge, Mass., about an hour away from Amherst. This is as close as I get could get with accurate pricing to where she was through internet sleuthing. I wasn't gonna, about to call a local liquor store. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics says that the price of alcohol increased by an average of 41.4% between 2004 and 2022. So we can estimate that today's $30 bottle, today's $30 bottle of vodka would be worth about $12.42. So if you needed a, mi- a reminder of how bad inflation is in this country today, there you go. Kelsey did, I want you all to know, she did a flourish with her hands, like a little circular flourish. There you go. I do so much with my hands. Like, there's so much you guys are missing while I talk. Italian, what can we say? I need to tell you. Back to the timeline. According to police, Maura left Amherst around 4.30 p.m. She was last seen on campus between 4 and 4.30 p.m., I believe by her doormate. She then took her 1996 Saturn north towards New Hampshire. She told no one her plans, what her plans were that afternoon. See, people, tell everyone where you're going. Tell people, well, there could be several reasons why she didn't, which we'll get into. This is a really weird thing. There's, there's things that main, that you read into now because she's, what, of what happened, that you wouldn't. If she'd just gone, come home after this, like it would just be normal. But now that we have so few clues, everything is analyzed and overanalyzed and trying to find meaning where there may be none. So, you know, who knows? At 7.27 p.m., a resident of Haverhill, New Hampshire, by the name of Faith Westman, called police to report that there had been an accident on Route 112 near her home that, and that the car was stuck in a ditch. We know this to be Mora because shortly after, a bus driver named Butch Atwood stopped to offer help. Which, shout out to these townspeople looking out for others. At least two people were like, somebody needs to know about this. We are going to check in. Mora declined the offer for help, stating she'd already called AAA. Butch knew that wasn't possible as there was no self-service in that area. So he drove to his home, which was maybe 100 yards away, and called police from there. All the time of landlines. Good old New Hampshire, even today, doesn't have good cell service everywhere. That's true. Like, there are still bed zones. His call to 911 took place at 7.42 p.m. And he told the operator that she looked shaken and that the airbags had deployed, but he saw no blood. So she lied, but she's a woman alone on the side of the road, in the dark, in the snow. She doesn't know Butch. She was probably trying to keep herself, hey, 
keep herself safe by declining help. Which, I don't know if I would accept help from just a strange man in a bus, alone, on the side of the road. By the time a police officer arrived at the scene at 7.46 p.m., likely responding to the first call, because that is a hell of a come-around time yeah. if he was responding to the second one. He was in the area. <laughs> 7.46 p.m. Mora was already gone. He ran the plates and found they belonged to one Fred Murray. So he called and left a message. No one picked up, though. Upon investigation of the car, the officer observed that the doors were locked and that there was a box of red wine behind the driver's seat. He also noticed stains on the ceiling and the door that were kind of reddish and a Coke bottle with red liquid in it, which later was said to smell like it had once contained alcohol. However, it is important to note that Butcher maintains that she didn't appear intoxicated when he spoke with her, and they never tested the samples of the stains, as far as I can tell. And they couldn't do much investigation of the car at the time, because since it was locked, that means that they need to wait for a warrant. So they that's about as much as he could glean from the scene in the moment. And it, and it wasn't like things could have spilled when she crashed. Is the implication I, that it's something else? I think No, I think the implication is it's okay. like whatever liquid was in the Coke bottle, like... Okay. spewed out. Okay, that's what I thought, but for the way you're talking, I'm like, is this supposed to be something, like, suspicious? <laughs> well, it's suspicious in that it might have been alcohol and she yeah. was driving, but I don't think these were blood. The officer also noted a rag stuffed into Mora's tailpipe, but it was later determined that Fred had told her to do this to avoid getting ticketed for excess exhaust. So it's just, like, something that I didn't know that was a thing. Like, it makes sense you could get ticketed, but, like, how do you... <laughs> Isn't it more dangerous to have your tailpipe, like, obstructed or whatever? I'm not saying it's not. It is, but, you know, it's... It, I think they were looking into it, trying to see if this was something suspicious, and maybe it was not. It was just something with a banal explanation. Since Mora was nowhere to be found, the officer, the officer enlisted the help of Butch the bus driver to help find her he suggested he drive west to look for her a nearby state trooper also joined in the search west of the accident ems and fire arrived shortly after but ems was dismissed within minutes i think they figured that if she was well enough to walk away from the accident that she wouldn't be too hurt plus ems should not be looking for people that i'm not saying it's a waste of time but that's the wrong priority for ems who likely have other calls that are more emergent. And there's likely not a lot of EMS in the area. So. No, this is middle of nowhere, New Hampshire. There's like one truck. Exactly. The eight firemen who responded to the scene searched the site of the accident and then joined the search west before returning to the station. Again, like EMS, there are probably other priorities for firemen, but the fact that there had clearly been a person there and now there wasn't, and people left before they find th they found them is mind-boggling to me. I like, feel like I couldn't do that. But you also don't know. I mean, anything could have happened. She could have hitched a ride with someone else. Like, something could have come by. I mean, these people don't know this person either. That's true, but gone. Yeah. Middle of nowhere gone. Like, you don't... And they started looking for... Like, you don't start looking for someone who has been in an accident. She yeah. could also be wandering the woods confused and injured. And then just stop looking without finding them. It's cold. It's dark. And they're in somewhere with no cell service. They don't know the area, likely, because she had Massachusetts plates. I get why not. I can understand how someone would, like, rationalize not doing it. 
but I more understand why you would keep going, you know? Well, I can understand fire and EMS, but the police left too. So everyone's like, fine. You know, that's fine. I also think it's important to mention that the Manchester-Boston Regional Airport Station recorded minimal temperatures of 14 degrees Fahrenheit on February 9th, 2004. That is Manchester and not Haverhill. Haverhill is much further north, so it's likely it was even colder. Just to give you an idea of conditions that night. Yeah, because she went, if she's walking out there with not much. Not much. She's not going to make it. No. If she is in the woods, confused and hurt, she's not surviving the night, most likely. That's what kind of pisses me off about this, is that they kind of just were like, well, there's a, she's not nearby, there's nothing we can do about it. You don't just, you call everybody. You call all the police officers, firemen, local volunteers, you get floodlights, you get dogs, you look until you find something. That pisses me off. Something. I'm also just wondering, I agree, I'm wondering how many resources they had. Probably not much, which... Is also the problem. But then again, the resources that they do have, I'm wondering if they were worried about getting scolded for wasting resources if they did find her somewhere safe and sound. I feel like me personally, I will never be upset at you for wasting resources looking for someone who's Morgan not missing. always says this. I will not be upset with you if you waste time and money looking for someone who's not missing, but I will be pissed at you if you don't for someone who is. Yeah. I couldn't find any reason why searching west of the accident was suggested rather than east. I guess that that would have been the way she was heading. But also no one searched east that night. Not even just... Not even... Not officially, no one looked east. Huh. Weird, right? Not even just to, like, see what's up. Just a quick look around, nothing. A little past noon the next day. The next day. Police released a bolo, which is be on the lookout, with Moore's physical description. 24 afters after the discovery of her car by police, so around 8 p.m., Moore was officially listed as a missing person. It's 24 hours that they were not. Have they gotten a hold of the family yet? They had at that point. Okay. But that's also 24 hours that they had. They looked for maybe 30 minutes after the accident. And then nothing until... Okay, when you said that a couple of people searched, I was imagining they did like two hours search, not 30 minutes. I don't know exactly, but it was not very long. Okay. But wait, like, wasn't there, like, a period in time where the thought was you couldn't report people missing or, like, announce people as missing until they'd been gone for a certain period? Like, when does that change? That changes later, and yes, that's true, but also they knew she wasn't where she was, and they could have been looking before this. They didn't look at all between the initial search at the accident and now. And not even now. Well, I'm brushing... I mean, it's not to say to brush it aside completely, but it's like they put out the announcement to be on the lookout for her, and they announce her as a missing person after 24 hours. But, like, is that procedure at this, like, is that standard procedure at this time, or is this, like... Would it be, though? Since she got in an accident, so I think she'd be on a higher priority, so they'd be like, oh, shit, uh, find this person, compared to someone who's like, I just lost, or not just lost, but this person is missing, like, normally versus an accident like this. But I also don't know anything about this. So I'm just like, hmm, that's a good question. Because most places, uh, police's, police people will be like, hey, um, you have to wait 24 hours because maybe you just left them somewhere, which is kind of bogus and dumb, but, you know, 
Butch, the bus driver, was the last known person to see Maura Murray alive to this day. There has been no trace of Maura Murray since. No cell phone, no bank activity, nothing. It has been 18 and a half years. While she was reported miss as missing on the 10th, an official search wasn't started until the next day, February 11th. So to go back to that conversation of 24 hours, you have to wait for a missing person, that, I believe, does not mean you have to wait 24 hours to start looking. And you most certainly don't have to wait till the next day. On top of that, especially when, at the time, the most likely scenario is that she got into an accident, had a concussion, wandered into the woods, and was exposed to the elements. That's just not how you find people alive. Fred drove up in the early hours of the morning to join the search. Bill Roche received a call from Fred on the 10th, saying that Mora had been in an accident and was missing. Imagine that phone call. He was stationed in Oklahoma at the time, so he flew to the BDL airport in Connecticut, where his family picked him up, and they all drove to Haverhill, New Hampshire together, and arrived sometime around 5 p.m. So it sounds like the family, not just Bill and Mora, but also just the families were really close, too. Upon arrival, the Roches were interviewed, and Bill in particular was interrogated extensively, which makes sense. He's her significant other. They always look at them closely. While going through the OKC airport security on his way to the crash site, Bill receives a whimpering voicemail message, which he discovers after he finishes getting through security. Peep oh, no. People who have heard this voicemail have different opinions on what it sounds like. The Roche family believes it sounds like there's someone sniffling and the sound of someone, quote, trying not to cry. Pe police felt that the voicemail sounded more like humming. Either way, there is nothing intelligible on the phone call. Detective Landry would later tell the Roche and Roches and the Morris that he traced the call back to the Red Cross. Sharon Roche thinks that's weird, because she didn't think the Red Cross had Bill's phone number. And usually the Red Cross does not contact soldiers directly, so the origin of this call remains a mystery. It may not even be related at all. I have to tell you, though, my heart, it just sank. Oh my god, that made me feel so incredibly... Imagine if that was her. We have no way of knowing Yeah, now, but it could have been. Heart, oh my god. I have to tell you, that really affected me, and I wasn't expecting it to affect me. It kind of get like, it gets you. It really got to me. <laughs> Hold it together. We have pages more. I feel my heart. Miss Sharon be like, that's weird. That's suspicious. That's suspicious. It just gets me that the police are like, no, no, it's humming. The most convenient explanation for us. God. I do think that's interesting that they were like, no, no, it's humming. It's fine. The cops being like, I am, I know, I know what I'm listening to. I have like ears too, buddy. Everybody, that, that's a woman crying. Uh, I don't know. Like, on a, over a phone, could it sound like humming? I don't think so. So I just go, that, that's so sad though. On the other hand, Bill had just been told that his girlfriend had been in an accident and was missing in the middle of nowhere. So it is also possible that either he heard what he wanted to hear or the police heard what they wanted to hear. Up to interpretation. They have their own biases in this situation. Yeah. Those involved with the search were Fish and Game with a helicopter, 
the Haverhill Police, and the New Hampshire State Police with a canine unit. So now we're getting started. The helicopter searched the immediate area around the crash site, but had to expand their search to a 10-mile radius. It was equipped with an FLIR, a forward-looking infrared unit. So had Mora been giving any kind of heat signal in the area they searched, they would have seen her. Which either means she's not there, or she's not giving off a heat signature. So neither, neither are good options. Yeah. A canine dog picked up a scent starting at the crash site twice but both times it stopped at an intersection that was within sight of the crash. Very possible she was picked up by a car there. Would, this is, I don't know if this is dumb quite, would snow interfere with anything like that for dogs? Then? No. Okay. No, it had not snowed since that night. Mm, okay. If it had snowed again, yes. Okay. But since it's old snow, no. She was an avid outdoors person. Assuming her judgment wasn't impaired by either injury or alcohol, she would have known better than to wander into the woods alone in the dark. Also, like, why would you... Anyway. I don't know. Had to go pee? Some people aren't smart. (laughs) She in particular would have known better. Yeah. What's weird about this to me, though, is that she refused help from Butch, the bus driver, but may have accepted a ride from someone else at the intersection. I think the most likely scenario is that she walked towards the intersection either to wait for help or to look for a nearby business, gas station, something, and someone came upon her and then either through ruse or force got her in the car. As the search dragged on throughout the day, Fred was asked if Maura had any had experienced any recent traumatic events. That evening, Haverhill police began to theorize that Maura was suicidal. Now, this theory is not baseless. There are two major clues that give this theory some credence. Two sub-theories, if you will. First, Moore's life was not all perfect. In addition to the shoplifting incident in 2002, there were some troubles in the year 2003. In the summer, she received at least one speeding ticket she had to appear in court for. She received a a fine of about $300 in Hooks at New Hampshire. Of course, where you speed changes the fine on a speeding ticket. But in the state of New Hampshire, to get a fine that hefty, you have to be going at least 16 miles over the speed limit, likely closer to 20. And her license was also suspended for 30 days. So it had to have been pretty serious because this was her first, at least as I can find it, first if not second infraction in the state of New Hampshire. So it's pretty serious. In October... Mora was caught using a credit card that was not hers for fast food charges. And she was actually arrested for this, but the charge was dismissed in December on the condition of good behavior. That is... where Whose credit card was this? Do we know? I don't know. She got, like, the number, not the card. I don't know where she got it. Did she get Uber... Oh, wait. Hold this on. This was 2004. <laughs> I was like, oh, haha, funny Uber Eats if she didn't have the card and then i'm like wait wait a minute those didn't exist yet huh imagine the time before uber eats <laughs> no DoorDash. in addition to the incidents in 2003 on february 5th 2004 four days before her disappearance Moore started a shift at her security job around 7 p.m this was on campus as far as i can tell over the course of her shift she made several calls mostly to bill and her sister kathleen Around midnight, her, supervi- her supervisor was told that Mora looked upset by somebody else. 
and when she went over to ask her what was wrong, she said something about her sister and started crying. Her supervisor walked her back to her room, and it is recorded that Mora ordered Domino's around four in the morning, but there's very little information about this, but it is important to note that she seemed emotionally distressed in the days leading up to her disappearance. And we don't know if anything was happening with her sister at the time? Not that I could tell. Her sister was stationed, I'm not sure if it was this sister or another sister, but one of her sisters, I think this one, was stationed abroad at this point. Okay. So... There is, of course, the accident that she had in her father's car on the 7th, which I mentioned, which may or may not have involved alcohol. And there are several facts just about her that I found throughout the case, which makes me think she may have been suffering from some alcoholism. alcoholism. Though it's hard to say, because it's mostly based on people's recollections, and she's also in college, and the attitude around alcohol for people in college is very different. Not that it should be, but it was just a thing to note. My dad has the story. He says he went into college as a youth back in the day when the drinking age was 18. And he came into his room. It had two roommates. One of them was sitting on the bed with a big bottle of moonshine. What the? That stuff is potent. It's, of course, an entirely different decade. But I just, I like... Even our conception of alcohol consumption today is really different than it was, like, one, two decades ago. And that's really different from what it was, like, one, two decades ago. Another possible reason for Mora to feel distressed, and I have no real evidence for this, uh, only circumstantial, so don't, don't go spreading this in case it's not true, but I think she may have been pregnant. Searches on her computer leading up to her disappearance in addition to directions to Burlington included the effects of alcohol on pregnancy, and it's possible she wasn't actually crying about her sister like she told her supervisor, but maybe she'd received confirmation of her pregnancy via phone call. And wanted to get an abortion? Something that gives us a little more credence is that Haverhill is right on the Vermont-New Hampshire border, and the condo in Bartlett is on the other side of New Hampshire. So she was going there. She wasn't going there directly. She may have been traveling to Burlington to obtain an abortion and wanted to spend a few days in a condo in NH, NH, in New Hampshire to recover before going back to school. Those reasons aside, I think the suicide series is kind of bullshit. I don't think she got into an accident on purpose, possible drinking and driving aside. I think she was heading somewhere. Plus, she packed for several days, which is not something people who are suicidal really do. She packed, like, workout gear. Like, you're going to get a quick run-in before you kill yourself? Like, no. No, people don't do that. Also, why would she bother turning in her homework? Yeah, why would she turn in her homework? She, like, no. Maybe she would go to a condo she had good memories of to commit suicide? But again, she... If she was planning to go there, she wasn't going there directly. She was on the complete opposite side of New Hampshire. What was she heading to, was she heading to Burlington, and what for? Abortion was legal and available in Massachusetts in 2004, so there's no real re- need for her to go all the way to Vermont for one, unless she was worried that since she was a nursing student, people, there would be people in the same circles? Maybe, maybe? I don't know. And on the other hand, she may not have been pregnant at all. She was a nursing student, and it even had a class about maternity the semester before. The question, but the question of where she was going and why still remains a mystery. Just gonna say another personal aside. When I was in college, 
a student actually went missing and it turned out that he had driven several states over to kill himself. So when this story started, oh. I was really on the I was on that side. On February 12th, a press release was issued stating that Mora was missing and possibly suicidal. This was the first major press about this case outside of a bolo, which most people don't even really see a bolo. So of course this colors how people view her case right out the gate. Bill and Fred also made reporter, met reporters outside of their hotel for a press conference where Fred pleaded with Mora to come home. The family continued to engage with the press and to look for Mora. Bill says they hit nearly every business in Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and even Canada with missing persons flyers. Like, everywhere. The search continued and expanded into Vermont, and about a week after Mora's disappearance, the FBI became involved with the investigation. By the 21st, Bill had to return to his posting. He's still in the active military. You can't just take off for however long you want. And police, in partnership with the FBI, began to create a timeline of events. That's why we have such documented timeline of her last few hours. I don't know if they were the last three hours. I hope they were because the, uh, the other options are not good. <clears throat> the family set up a website where people can donate to a reward for any information about Mora's whereabouts. As far as I can tell, that website's still up. It is now over $20,000. By the 24th, it became clear that Mora had likely not just wandered off into the woods by the crash site. At this point, Fred began to suspect that she had been driven, given a ride by someone who wouldn't come forward, either because they were afraid of getting in trouble for helping Mora flee a crash scene, which is illegal, or because they themselves had abducted her. March 2nd, the family could no longer continue to stay at the nearby hotel that had become their base of operation for the search. Unfortunately, lives cannot pause that long, even if someone's missing. So they all returned home, but Fred and many volunteers returned every weekend for the next year searching for her. Terror. Like, the whole, your entire year. Just every weekend. You just drive hours back up. But that has to be... What else are you going to do? He's probably living for the weekend to go and try and find. Like, he... Like, I... The hope of it. The hope. You're hanging on with everything you've got, so... Loki agrees. Loki agrees. I don't know if there had been beef between the New Hampshire State Police and the FBI throughout the whole investigation, but there was definitely beef at this point. In late May, Fred sent a letter... A letter to the New Hampshire governor at the time, pleading that the state police receive help from the FBI, he did not ever receive a response. So I don't know if he was seeing that there was, you know, a beef between the two law enforcement offices, and he was like, hey guys, we need to come together here to find my child, or what, but some kind of beef. There's also something weird here that may or may not relate to the case. Brianna Maitland, a 17-year-old from Montgomery, Vermont, who looked very similar to Mora, also went missing in similar circumstances March 19th, 2004, like a month after. Hmm. Now, Montgomery, Vermont is way north, close to Canada. And I don't think any connections were ever officially made between the two cases, but it's weird, nonetheless. It's worth noting. It's worth noting. That said, people go missing all the time. Who's to say? That's really sad. It is very, it's very sad. That's the end of the episode. People go missing all, all the time. time. Man. On Mora's 22nd birthday, they had a ceremony where they released balloons for her. Two days later, 
A man came forward stating that he saw a young woman matching her description heading east. Remember, they looked west, not east. Mm. On Route 112 about an hour after the accident. I think they televised the ceremony, so that maybe jogged his memory, or he was like, oh, I've got to say something now. So that's interesting. It's also worth noting, it was 8 o'clock at night on a route. People don't really walk on routes, especially in February. So You would probably take note of someone walking on it. The chances of it being somebody else, too, pretty low. They searched everywhere she might be, multiple times. They checked the area around the crash site again and again, and would continue to do so. They checked Burlington and Stowe, Vermont, because that was the directions she was going. As well as the Boston area, particularly around her school, in case she'd somehow gotten back. I don't know how they thought she was getting back, but, you know, maybe, just in case. In my opinion, and I already said this, but I'm going to say it again, police leaving the scene of the accident without ascertaining the status of the person who had been in the accident was a mistake. If she had been picked up by some unknown individual by the time police arrived on the scene, which is likely... It may not have helped immediately, because she wouldn't have been in the area, but it would have started the search much sooner, because she had to have gone somewhere. I also think that framing her disappearance as a possible suicide really hurt the search for her in early days. I think that it right away makes a few people write her off as already dead, and also changes where people are looking. Like, if someone is missing, possibly kidnapped, you're going to be looking in different places than someone who is a suicide risk. But I do think once the actual investigation really started, they went all out. They had helicopters, canine, everybody. In regards to police investigation of Mora's disappearance, the family, particularly Fred, consider police's slow response and lack of follow-through to be the reason that his, her disappearance remains a mystery. Yeah. On the other side, a 2014 article by the Boston Magazine interviewed the New Hampshire Attorney General's Office Homicide Unit Chief, Jeff Strelzen, who said that, quote, Fred has been a difficult person to deal with from the beginning, end quote. Honestly, though, if I got a call saying that my family member had gotten into an accident on a cold New England night in the middle of nowhere and police just left without finding them and then waited until noon the next day to even tell anybody to be on the lookout for them and it ended this tragically, I'd be pretty goddamn pissed, too. Yeah, yeah. I'd be pissed. That is so understandable. Yeah. Fred maintains his belief that Moore's disappearance was the result of foul play, which I think at this point is really the only logical option. And before we finish up here, there are a few updates in recent years that I want to discuss, because this case is still ongoing. On April 3rd, 2019, New Hampshire State Police and the FBI searched the basement of a home on Route 112, about 100 yards west of the crash site. According to Jeff Strelzen, there had been a lot of speculation from private citizens about this basement. As this investigation is still ongoing, and I am not a part of the Haverhill New Hampshire Gossip Circle, uh, there's not a whole lot that I could find as to why this basement is suspected, other than its proximity to the accident site. I think this might be Butch the bus driver's house. Again, that information I could not find. But I can't imagine there are that many houses in the middle of nowhere on Route 12, right next to the accident site. They searched the basement, dug down several feet. Nothing. Also, the time between when he made the call at his home and when the first call was made, not very long. 
727 to 742. So we would have had to come upon her at some time between there, subdue her, get her back to his house, subdue her again somewhere else, and then make a phone call, and then come back. Like, the, just, the timing is... It's possible, but not very. It's a lot. It's a lot. September 13, 2021, some bone fragments were found in the ground during a construction project in Lincoln, New Hampshire. They appeared to be human and not recent. However, by November, it became clear through radiocarbon dating that these fragments were much too old to be more like 1800s too old. That's Likely too old. historical site. That's too old. That's too old. Disrotten. On what would have been Moore's 38th birthday, because I don't think she's alive at this point. There's still a chance, but I don't think so. In 2020, the family launched a website, moramurraymissing.org, that is all of the facts of this case. It will be the first link in the sources list if you want to check it out. There's also a podcast called The 107 Degree that is de dedicated entirely to Mora's case and all of the details and documents that are related to it. So check those out! Kathleen, who had been very close to her sister Mora, died of cancer November 25th, 2021, without ever knowing what happened to her sister. In 2022... The FBI created a violent criminal apprehension profile for Maura Murray, which means that all of the details of her case are in the VICAP system. So if there is ever a similar case anywhere else in the country, it will be linked to hers. The most recent activity on this case happened in July of this year, when yet another ground search of the Route 112 area around the crash site was conducted. Police said they had no new evidence to prompt the search, but they wanted to make sure the public knew they were still looking. And while I kind of appreciate the effort, I think we've all kind of come to the conclusion that Mora is not in those woods. Yeah. But I also think that, unfortunately, there's not much police can do at this point until new evidence comes to them, which is very disappointing into the episode. I hope you all enjoyed. I can't get over the phone call. The message? I can't either. I mean... Have you, I get, like, weird calls from spam all the time that are just blank phone calls, so maybe it was just that. I, I know, mean, but I'm so, even the possible thought made me so sad. It is. If it is genuine, also, the way we're thinking is genuine, that's horrifying. I don't know what is with me today. I feel very, like, I'm just thinking about her alone in the cold, possibly in the woods. I'm really sad. It's very sad. It's horribly sad. And where was she going? Was she going to Burlington? Why? Why? The only reason I could think of was to get an abortion, but, like, why? You can get one in Massachusetts. I don't know. Maybe she didn't want anybody to know and thought that she had to go far away to do that? To make sure nobody would ever know? I don't know. It's just so wild to me. And I just, um... I don't know exactly what protocol was for coming upon a crash scene in 2004 and you can't find the person who was in the crash was clearly in the car and then was in an accident but i don't think it was search for 20 minutes and then just leave yeah and then don't look for them for another at least 36 hours like what are you kidding me are you kidding me i would be beyond pissed if i were fred or laura or anybody i'd be like what the hell what do you mean my daughter is missing and you're not looking right now? And then the police say, what? Ah, oh, we're going to start the search tomorrow. No, sir. You start right now. You should have started hours ago. 
I'd be so mad. I'd be so... I am mad. I'm you mad are. now. You I'm are. mad for Mora. I'm mad for Mora's family. Where's Mora? I'm also mad that they were like, Fred Murray was like a little... He wasn't great. And I'm like, I wouldn't be great either. Do you think he's going to be compliant? Like, oh, yeah, like, take all the time you need to try and look for my daughter who's been gone forever. Hello? I'm also not entirely certain what that means. Like, does that refer to him being, like, obstinate or instigative with officers? Does that refer to him somehow, like, stopping the investigation or getting in the way? Like, what does that mean, sir? Say it with your whole chest. Tell me what you mean by that. Tell me what you mean by saying that the man who is grieving for his missing daughter was difficult during an investigation. Say it, pussy. Say it. I'd be pretty damn difficult, too. He was not very nice during the investigation. He said I was stinky. <laughs> he was kind of difficult. Mm. Also a note, like, I don't know if this is related at all or not. But they did investigate Bill quite a bit because he's a significant other, and they had no leads at the time. And he was in Oklahoma at the time she had an accident and went missing, so he himself could not have done anything. But people tried to make an argument like maybe he like made this happen somehow, and I'm like you couldn't have known that she was going. Like it doesn't make sense for him to be involved. But it is worth noting that since this. He has been accused by several women of being sex- of sexual misconduct. Oh. I don't know exactly what that means, like what that in particular refers to, but it is there. I don't see him being a hmm. part of this. That seems like way... Just logically, it doesn't quite make sense. No. Like, how could he have done this? Yeah. He was like some 23-year-old. Like, what? He's not a criminal mastermind. Yeah. Also, it there were some snippets of emails between them. It doesn't seem like she thought, like, she did not seem uncomfortable with him at any yeah. point. Like, that I could tell from what was available. It's hella disappointing, though. Like, she's still missing to this day. I don't think she's alive at this point. Although, who knows? There's been plenty of incidents, incidences. Incidents? Well, I don't know what is with me today. I can't fucking talk. No, incidents. I was looking for incidents. Oh, you were? I was. I thought you were saying. Hard to tell, right? But there have been many incidents of people going missing, and then they're found 20 or 30 years later being kept in somebody's basement, which I don't know if that's a good alternative to being dead. No. I don't know. I mean, she's that would mean she would still be alive, but, like, I don't know. At what cost? To be the family member of someone who's been missing for 18 years, your options are... Years of therapy. She's dead. She's being held in somebody's basement and has been for almost 20 years. Or I guess that she went off and started another life somewhere and didn't tell you and didn't care to tell you. Those are your three options. And none of them are good. No. Which is really disappointing. And that's where we're going to leave you guys. I hope you're as disappointed as I am. Make sure you tell people where you're going at all times, even if you're doing shady things. You don't have to tell people why. Just be like, I'm going to Burlington. You can't ask why. But if anything happens, that's where I went. Something. Stay safe out there, people.